I will be reading Psalms 18, verse 13, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The Lord also thundered in the heavens. The Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for being our God and our Father, for being mindful of us, for taking care of us, for providing for us, for protecting us. We thank you, Father, most of all for your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the hope that we each have because of the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross in letting your Son die for our sins so that we might have this everlasting life. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that you revealed yourself to us through your Son and fully through your, through your word. Help us, Lord, to read it, to study it, to carry it in our hearts everywhere we go, to be able to share it when we need to and when we have opportunity. Most of all, Lord, help us to live by it. This is truly why you gave it to us. Help us to to live it every day, Father, not just on Sunday morning or Sunday evening or Wednesday evening, but every day of the week. And and the people we come in contact with, the way we treat others, the way we live our lives, the way we treat our neighbors, the way we treat our families. Father, we thank you so much for your church, for this place of support and refuge, for this family that we have here that helps you to take care of us and our needs, and we thank you so much for that, Father. We pray, Lord, that you will increase our numbers, that you'll give us the opportunity to share you with other folks, and that they'll see that we have something special Not because we are special, but because we have you. And that they'll see that and they'll want that. They'll want some peace and calmness in their lives. Father, we we thank you for our families, for the love and the joy and the happiness that we share with one another. We thank you for this life that you've given us together. We thank you for our jobs the places that we live, the many blessings that you've given us. We thank you for the the measure of health that most of us enjoy. And Father, for those that are suffering and that are sick, and we we pray that you would be with them, that you would comfort them, that you'd heal them if it be thy will, and that you'd give them your peace that passes all understanding if healing is not going to come. Lord, we're just in a mess. And we need your help. You've given us a place to live, a country to live in that was where we have freedom to worship, where we have the opportunity to vote, to choose our leaders. And Father, you gave us a country that was 
put together by men who loved you, believed in you, and used you and your word as their guiding principles to, to write a constitution for this country that we might all be able to live in peace and harmony together in this land. And Father, we've gotten so far away from that because of sin and greed. We, we've made it law that people can do things that are against Your Word. We've turned our backs on You in the schools. And Father, we may sit here and say, well, we didn't do that, but we've let it happen. Help the church to stand up and help us as individuals who are your children to stand up for what's right. Father, we pray that you give us leaders that have the best interest of, of this country, this land that you gave us at heart, and not their pocketbook or not their special interest, but what's best for America. And help us to realize that what's best for America may not always be exactly what's best for me, but if it's best for America, Lord, that's what we're praying for. We pray that you'd heal our land and that you'd give us leaders that love it, that love its people, that will work hard to make things the way you want them to be. And Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come to you with our prayer this morning. We pray, Father, that we will worship you in truth and in spirit this morning and that we will all participate. But more than that, Father, we pray that we'll worship you with our lives every minute of every day, everywhere we go, and everything we do. In Jesus' blessed and holy name we pray. Amen. Number 762, where he leads me, I will follow. Number 762. I can hear my Savior calling. I can hear my Savior calling. I can hear my Savior calling. Take thy cross and follow.
and go with me, with me all the way. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he If you'd like to mark our invitation song this morning following Andy's lesson, it will be number 179, God is Calling the Prodigal, number 179. And now before he comes to speak to us, let's sing number 51, Arise the Master Calls, number 51. Will you stand please? Arise, the master calls for thee, the harvest days are here. No longer sit with folded hands, but gather far and near. The noble ranks of soldiers are daily growing everywhere. Arise, arise, then for the field prepare. Arise, arise. The master calls for thee. Arise, arise, unfaithful reaper be. Arise, the field is white, and days are going by. Awake, awake, and answer, here am I. Go seek the lost and daring ones who never knew the Lord. Go lead them from the ways of sin, and thou shalt have reward. Go out into the hedges where the careless tread upon the tide. Arise, arise, let no one be denied. Arise, arise, the Master calls, calls for thee. Arise, arise. A faithful reaper be arise. The field is white and days are going by. Arise, awake, awake, and answer, here am I. The message bear to distant lands beyond the rolling sea. To tell them of the Savior's love, the Lamb of Calvary. Arise, 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 arise. kindred tribe and tongue exalt the Savior's name. Arise, arise, the Master calls for thee. Arise, arise, a faithful reaper be arise. The field is white, the days are going by. Awake, awake, 
and answer, here am I. Thank you, B.C. Good morning, J.A. family. Hope that you are having a good weekend. Glad that we can be here together. Brothers and sisters, it's always good to see you. Glad that we can worship God together. If you're visiting with us, whether you are just traveling through or if you're a visitor from the community, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you for worshiping God, being important enough for you uh, to stop on your trip or to make a special trip to be with us this morning. We are uh, glad that you are here and you are welcomed here anytime. A couple of things before we get into our lesson that I wanted to make everybody aware of and encourage you to pray about. Uh, next Wednesday, so not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, uh, we have two interns who are coming, uh, two college students who are going to come and work with us this summer, uh, work primarily with the youth group, but also work with some other ministries. Uh, so we want to make sure that we uh, keep them in our prayers. Scott and Emma are their names. So if you'll keep Scott and Emma in your prayers, that would be great. Again, they'll be here the last Wednesday of May. Uh, so keep them uh, in your prayers. And then the following Wednesday, uh, we're gonna, in June, the Wednesdays in June and July, want to let everybody know about an opportunity that you have to, it'll be a great opportunity for you to invite your friends, uh, your family, neighbors to come and to be with us. Uh, every Wednesday in June, we're gonna meet in the small auditorium, we're gonna have a time of, uh, singing, and a man of the congregation is gonna lead us in a devotional thought, uh, and then following that, we'll meet in the fellowship hall, or hopefully we'll have so many people that we'll have to move over to the gym, and we're gonna have a, a summer of sweet fellowship where every Wednesday night in June and July, we're going to have some sort of uh, sweet uh, snacks to enjoy together. Uh, so I would think, and I'm going to try and implement this for us, uh, that your kids, if you have kids in school, maybe elementary school, maybe middle school, maybe even some of the high schoolers, uh, they're going to be missing their friends from school. So that would be a great opportunity maybe for you to invite them to come over to your house Wednesday afternoon and hang out and have a, a play date or something like that. Uh, and then say, hey, parents, why don't you just pick them up uh, at church, why don't you join us? Uh, you know, at six thirty on Wednesday, we'll have this time of devotion, and then we'll have this fellowship afterwards, and you can just pick up your kids from there. Uh, so, invite your friends, invite your neighbors. Let's all come together and enjoy this, and get to know each other uh, better, and enjoy some fellowship together. Hope that you'll take the opportunity uh, to be there uh, with us this summer. The voice of God. What does the voice of God sound like? Have you ever wondered that? You know, typically, like in Psalm 18, verse 13, that was read to us earlier, we picture it as this, this booming voice, right? That's like thunder and, and sounds powerful. Uh, and maybe that's what it's like. You know, you think about uh, voices that have, or people that have voiced the voice of God in different movies. And maybe you think of, probably, especially for those of you of a certain age, you might think of Charlton Heston. Uh, in the movie, The Ten Commandments, of course, he played Moses, uh, great movie, but did you know he also voiced the voice of God in that movie? So he was talking back and forth to himself. Uh, he voiced the voice of God in that movie. But there have been some other people who have uh, been the voice of God in different movies. Maybe you think of uh, Morgan Freeman uh, has played that, that voice, and again, he's got that, that deep, resonant voice. Uh, but there have been some peculiar people to play the voice of God in movies. Uh, Val Kilmer. Uh, has played the, the voice of God before. Uh, the, the rock star Rob Zombie uh, has done it before. The comedian Rod, Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, and even Whoopi Goldberg has played the voice of God. What's the voice of God sound like? I don't know. It'd be interesting to have been there after Jesus' baptism and, you know, the, the dove comes and lands on his shoulder and says, there's this voice from heaven that declares, this is my beloved son in whom I am 
well pleased. It would have been interesting to be Moses and as he talks with God on Mount Sinai, it would have been interesting to be all of these biblical characters, these individuals who had interactions with God. It would have been interesting to be Saul on the road to Damascus when Jesus speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It would have been interesting to, to hear that. But I don't know what the voice of God sounds like. I, I don't, you don't either. But I don't think that in some ways that it matters. What we know is everything, listen, everything responds to the voice of God. At creation, when God said, let there be light, and there was light, he, he said these things. And it's, it's interesting that in every day he says, let us do this, let us make this, let us this, let these things happen. And he, and he uses his voice to do it. And, and think about this. When God spoke and said, let there be whatever it was, from nothing there became something. As a matter of fact, from nothing there became everything. Everything responds to the voice of God. Think about storms. In Mark chapter 4, we read about that, that time when uh, they're on, one of, the, one of the times when they're in the Sea of Galilee. And remember that Jesus is in the, uh, the bottom of the boat or the, uh, the, the sectioned off part of the boat and he's sleeping. And they come to him and says, Lord, do you not care that we're perishing? Now this has to be a significant storm because who's on that boat? More than likely, Peter, Andrew, James, and John are on that boat. What, what was their job before they became followers of Jesus? They were fishermen. They were used to being on the sea. They were used to storms coming up, no doubt, when they were fishing. They were used to these types of things, and they're scared to death. And Jesus gets up, almost as if he's bothered by, why are you waking me up? This is not a big deal. And what does he say? He looks out over the waves, and he says, peace, be still. And the winds and the waves, they obey his will. So nature Storms listen to and respond to the voice of God. Demons listened to the voice of God. In Mark, Mark chapter 1, one of many examples when Jesus interacts with demons, it says very specifically, he says, be quiet because the demon is causing the person who's possessed to, to speak. He says, be quiet and go. He says, get out of here. You don't have the authority to be here. We think about, we, we don't even understand fully what it would have been like to have been possessed by demons or for that to have been a thing that, that happens today, how powerful that was, how, how demons would throw people into fires and make them have seizures and, and all of the, the terrible things and the, the great power that they had over those they possessed. And all Jesus had to say was, hey, be quiet and get out of here. And the demon left. Now that shouldn't be too surprising because we know in Matthew chapter 4, at Jesus' temptation, that not only does he say that to a demon, but he says it to Satan himself, right? Remember after that third time, he says, Go, Satan, get out of here. I'm done with you. And it says that Satan left to come back at another time. But he left when Jesus said to go. We know that even the dead listen to and respond to the voice of God. In John chapter 11, when his friend dies, Lazarus, remember he goes to the tomb and they roll the, the stone back and he says, Lazarus, get up. And the dead man gets up. The voice of God, everything responds to it. Where do we hear the voice of God? Where do we hear the voice of God today? Where did, where in, even in, in biblical times, even in Old Testament times, where do we hear the voice of God? And Elijah is a great story of this, and I think that I've referenced this 
even recently, but let's think about this again. In 1 Kings uh, chapter 18 and eventually in chapter 19, and if you want to turn there, 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to reference verses 9 through 13 here in just a second. Again, if you're using one of those pew Bibles because maybe you don't have yours, that's on page 301, 1 Kings chapter 19. But in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah, of course, he's a, he's a man of God, he's a prophet, and uh, he's dealing with some, some very wicked people in, in Israel and the Israelites. You have King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, uh, and he, of course, challenges the prophets of Baal and, and also uh, the prophets of uh, Asherah that, that uh, Jezebel follows. And they have that, that great uh, confrontation on Mount Carmel, and, and, and Elijah wins. But following that, Jezebel doesn't, she, she's not into it. She doesn't, even though he's performed this, this mighty and amazing miracle and the prophets of Baal have been shown to be incompetent and inept and, and their God uh, to not be able to do anything, she's still not turning. She's still not changing. And, and so much so that she, she threatens his life. She says, I'm going to kill you. And scripture tells us in 1 Kings 18 and into chapter 19 that, that he is afraid. And no doubt he, he's fearful for his life, but I also think that he's a little bit um, disturbed. He's a little bit discouraged. Uh, imagine this. He's just performed this, this amazing miracle. And, and probably one of the two people, King Ahab seems to listen a little bit, but, but Queen Jezebel, she doesn't listen at all. You could not have preached a better sermon. You could not have, have displayed a better way to say, look at who God is. And Queen Jezebel's response is not, oh, yes, he's amazing. I can't believe that he did these things. Her response is, hey, I'm going to kill you. So he's afraid, yes, but also discouraged. And he runs, and he runs. It seems as if it, the, the scriptures seem to describe that he runs uh, a day's journey, and he stops and he talks to God, and then he runs a 40 days more journeys. And he finally comes to the mountain of God. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verses uh, 9 through 13, we have this, this time when he is, he is hiding in this, in this cave, and God says, listen, I'm going to come by, and you're going you're gonna to listen to me. You're going to hear what I have to say, and you're going to respond to my voice. But before the voice of God comes, what comes? Remember, there's an earthquake that shakes the mountain. There's a strong wind that tears the mountain apart. And then there's an all-consuming fire. And it says in each one of those instances, but the voice of God was not there. But then what happens? There's a gentle blowing wind. And Elijah recognizes, hey, that's God. Let me suggest to you for what we're talking about this morning. When we think about the voice of God and the fact that everything responds to the voice of God... Let me suggest to you that the voice of God was always there. When the earthquake shook the mountain, the voice of God was there. When the fire consumed all there was to consume, the voice of God was there. When the wind rended the mountain and tore it apart, the voice of God was there. But Elijah couldn't hear it because he was distracted by so many things. And I would dare say he was distracted even by his own thoughts. Remember, this is when he comes to God multiple times and says, God, I'm all alone. God, everyone else has turned away from you. Now, God goes and teaches him differently. And, and if he would have listened to and been listening for the voice of God, he would have already known that. Because even before he goes to Mount Carmel, he knows that there are hundreds of prophets, hundreds of faithful people who had not turned away from God even before Mount Carmel. Today, do we ever get distracted by the earthquake? Do we ever get distracted by the storm? Do we ever get distracted by the fire? Do we ever get distracted by the world? Do we ever get distracted by our own thoughts even? To the detriment of listening to the voice of God. 
Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, a familiar passage to you, but I want you to look at it again. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. Again, if you're using a pew Bible, that's page 996. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, page 996 in your pew Bible. You know this verse, but let's think about it as we think about the voice of God. Where do we hear the voice of God? It's not always in the loudness. Oftentimes, it's not in the loudness. Instead, the voice of God is often the calming voice in the midst of loudness. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, again, a familiar passage, but it says, all scripture, Paul, the apostle of Jesus, writing to his son in the faith, Timothy says, all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be equipped, adequate for every good work. Now, you're probably familiar, but let me remind you or tell you or help you understand that when it says all scripture is inspired, that word inspired means that it is God breathed. Listen to me. This is powerful. This is important for us to recognize. The Bible that you hold in your hand is the voice of God. It is the voice of God. And everything responds to the voice of God. Everything. Everyone will respond to the voice of God. Many of you here today have responded to the voice of God by becoming Christians. Many of you today have heard the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you have become obedient to that faith. You've responded to the word of God. And let us challenge ourselves, remind ourselves, for those of you who aren't Christians, let me encourage you and challenge you and, and, and get you to think about how will you respond. That, that's the question for today. Nothing became everything. The waves and the wind obeyed his will. Uh, you know, the, uh, the creation was, was made by, the, by his voice. Demons believed and, and listened to him. Even Satan himself believed. The dead rose at the sound of his voice. Everything responds to the voice of God. The Bible is the voice of God, the word of God, the message of God. The question today is for Christian and non-Christian alike is how will you respond to the voice of God? I've got several verses here that I want to specifically mention. There are, of course, many more. But first of all, how will you respond when Jesus says to love your enemy? Well, the quick response is going to be, well, Andy, that's, I know, I know Jesus said that, but you don't know what this person has done to me. And my response to you would be, well, let's just finish the verse. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus says this to a group of Jews who are under an occupying force of the Romans, who live in a, an evil and, and difficult time, and he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How will you respond to that? How will you respond when, when God in his word says that marriage is supposed to be held in honor? That marriage is supposed to be held in honor. Now listen, what I'm saying is that, that God's standard, God's word, God's voice says something very different than the voice of the world. Very different than the storm. Very different than the earthquake. Very different than the consuming fire. The world says, hey, you get married if you want to. You don't even really have to. Uh, but if you want to get married, you stay together for as long as you're happy. And when you're not happy, it's fine. No big deal. It's not, it's not uncommon for you to drive down the road and find a, a, a billboard that says, divorce. That's the value that the world has placed in marriage. It's not very honorable, is it? But God says marriage is to be held in honor. And the marriage bed 
is to be undefiled. That verse, and and certainly along with some other verses, help us to understand where sex belongs. Sex belongs in a marriage between a husband and wife. That's where it belongs. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Now, what does the world say? Something very different, right? Whatever you want, whenever you want, with whomever you want. But God says the marriage bed is to be undefiled. And that's one way that marriage is to be held in honor. The question is, which voice will we listen to? Will we listen to the loud voice that's presented to us through movies and television and music and our friends and our neighbors and our family and what they say? Hey, you just do what you want, and as long as you're happy, you stay where you're at, and when you're unhappy or if you want to do something else, just do you. You be you. Or will we listen to the voice of God? It says marriage should be held in honor, must be held in honor, and the marriage bed undefiled. Will we listen to God in his word when he says for children to honor our father and our mother? Now that, you know, recently we've had classes on, and and certainly as, as you go through life, you realize and recognize that honor your father and mother looks different at different points in your life, doesn't it? When you're a child... When you're still in school, certainly when you're in elementary school, maybe even in middle school, honor your father and mother should be in many ways, hey, listen to and obey your father and mother. Maybe as you get into the teenage years, you're you're trying to to become an adult, but you're not quite an adult yet, and and your relationship with your parents is is changing and shifting, and, and again, the world tells us all kinds of different things, but God says, teenagers, honor your father and mother. And as you grow into adulthood and you have your own family and your own children, honor your father and mother. And as your parents age and they become needing you to take care of them like you used to take care, like, like they used to take care of you, the Bible tells us to honor our father and mother. It may look different from place to place and time to time and circumstance to circumstance, but the command is God asks us to honor our father and mother. Again, the world will tell us a different message. But what will we do? When the Bible tells us in multiple places, but here in one place, do not lie to one another. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9. How will you respond to that? God's word, God's voice tells us don't lie. Now, the, the automatic response is, well, little white lies, they don't really matter. Like when your wife asks you, and husbands, you know what I'm going to say. It's okay then, that's not a big deal. But if it gets me out of trouble, but this, but that, there's all kinds of excuses that the world is giving to us. But do you remember who the father of lies is? Satan. Satan wants you to lie in little ways or big ways. It doesn't matter. God says, don't lie. From the very beginning in the, uh, the, the Ten Commandments, one of them is don't bear false witness or don't lie. God tells us that it's important. And we recognize that it's important because you, when someone lies to you, what happens? You lose trust in them. And you don't know when you can trust them. And maybe they lie to you in a small thing. And maybe they're talking to you about something that's far more important. But you can't trust them in that because they lied to you in a small thing. They have lost their integrity with you. Christians, we can't afford to lose our integrity. We've got too much important things to talk about with people. We've got to talk about Jesus. 
We've got to talk about the gospel. We've got to talk about biblical matters. We've got to talk about eternal matters. We can't afford to lose our integrity over lying about small things just to avoid trouble. God says, do not lie. What will we do when the Bible tells us that we need to be in subjection, to live in subjection to the governing authorities? Well, you may say, well, Andy, you don't know what government we've got. Do you know who the president is? Do you know who my city council members are? Do you know who is in charge of my school? Do you know this? Do you know that? Listen, that, that all is, is true and, and, and recognizable and understandable. But can I tell you that when Paul wrote this to the people who lived in Rome, you probably could not have found a more corrupt government that he was writing about. Be in subjection to the governing authorities. And yeah, there's some hard things in that passage in Romans 13 that, that God has caused those people to, to fill those positions. And we wonder and we say, God, how are you doing that? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a follower of God and I'm going to let God be God. And he tells me, be in subjection to the governing authorities. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have the right to vote in our country and we, ha- we play a role in that and we want to put people who are more godly into position and we want to do all of those things. But no matter who the president is or who any other position is, I know who is my king. I know who is my Lord. I know who is my God. And I will follow him. And he tells me to be in subjection. How will you respond to that? Will you listen to and obey the voice of God? Or will you try and turn it to yourself? How will we respond when Jesus says that each of us, if we want to be a follower of Jesus, must deny ourselves, pick up our cross daily, and follow after him. What's he saying there? He's saying for the Christian, which again, the majority of us here in this building this morning are. He's saying your life is no longer about you. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Pick up the responsibility. Pick up the burden. Pick up the the weight that goes along with being a Christian and follow after him every day. This morning, brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, followers of Jesus, how will you respond to the voice of God? You know that everything responds to the voice of God. Sometimes our response is we ignore it. Sometimes our response is I'm not interested in that. Sometimes our response is guilt. And we talk about some of these things that we've, we've mentioned and we've considered this morning. And, and maybe some of those things are things that you've struggled with. Maybe denying yourself. Maybe having an honorable marriage. Maybe keeping the marriage bed undefiled. Maybe any of those other things that we've talked about you have struggled with now or in the past. Or maybe you'll struggle with in the future. The question is when God says this is the way that it is and this is the way that I want it to be. And if you're going to follow me, this is how you're going to live. How will you respond. Now listen, some of this stuff that we've talked about this morning, it's fairly heavy. And it's heavy for you if you've dealt with it before. I want to remind you about some other things that Jesus said. These are not on the screen, but I want you to, to think about these things. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. If you're using your pew Bibles, that's 816. Page 816, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Yes, Jesus and God and their word and the voice of God tells us some difficult things. And, and maybe as you've heard some of those things, or maybe, maybe it's nothing we've talked on or touched on this morning, but you can think of some other things that Jesus has said, that the Bible has said that relate specifically to you. And maybe sometimes those things, those burdens get heavy. 
and they get difficult to carry from day to day. Maybe, I have no doubt, as a matter of fact, I know, that in a group like this, of people who want to be Christians, the burden of sin that we carry with us and that we hide from each other can be very heavy. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Or maybe you're not a Christian yet and you know who Jesus is, you believe in him, you just haven't made that decision to become a Christian yet and and you've got sin in your life and maybe that sin on your shoulders or in your life is very heavy. Listen to some other words of Jesus in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Our speaker this past week at our gospel meeting talked about this, and I'll, I'll touch on something that he shared with us that was powerful here in a minute, but, but notice it says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. You've got something that you're carrying with you that's weighing you down, that's not helping you in your life, that's discouraging you. And that word weary means that you've worked to the the extent or you've, you've carried this weight to the extent that you are exhausted. Now, this is the time that you've got to do some introspection. I've got to do some introspection. I've got to look at myself and say, listen, what am I holding? What am I holding on to? What am I not admitting? What am I not repenting of? What am I not confessing? What am I still going back to time and time again that never fulfills me? What am I holding on to that is wearing me out? It's wearing me out. I don't have the strength to be who God wants me to be because I put my strength in carrying this great weight. He says, come to me if you're like that. And you'll find rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. And again, the thing that, that Larry shared with us last week that, that you, you may have heard if you were here is that that idea of that yoke is it's a, it's a, it's a partnering, it's a coupling. And you have, uh, Jesus says, you, you take my yoke upon you. And, and the idea here is that you have a, a young beast of burden, a young ox, a young uh, bull, whatever it is that, that's going to pull uh, whatever they're pulling, whether it's um, you know farm implementation or a wagon or whatever it is, you put the, the young, the inexperienced, the smaller animal, and you pair it up with something, an animal that is strong, that is mighty, that is experienced. And the idea here is that the young, inexperienced, weaker one learns from the stronger one. Well, who, who are we invited to learn from? Take my yoke upon you. Jesus says, you're going to learn from me. I'm going to show you how to live life. And when you're too weak to pull, I'm strong enough to pull. When you're carrying too much weight, I can take that off of you. I can relieve you of that weight. Take Jesus' yoke upon you and find rest for yourselves. This morning, if you've got that weight on you, why are you carrying it? What is it that's in your life that you don't need? In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, right after that hall of fame of faith where we hear about all those faithful people from the Old Testament, men and women, it says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, basically the idea, hey, you've looked at all these people who have done it and been successful at it, not perfectly, but faithfully. It's the hall of faith, not the hall of perfection, right? It's the hall of faith. They've done it faithfully. Therefore, since we have this great number of people surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, And the sin which so easily entangles us. Certainly, we've got to get rid of sin. But notice he also says, lay aside every encumbrance. What are you carrying this morning that's keeping you from running that race with endurance? 
because you're carrying this weight that you don't need to carry. Run with endurance this race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, Hebrews 11, here are people who have done it. Hebrews 12, Jesus was the first one to really do it perfectly. Lay aside all of the other stuff and follow Jesus. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Listen, yeah, the scriptures tell us God's voice speaks to us and says, hey, you don't need to listen to the world and the world standards may be this, but I'm holding you to a higher standard. And this, the world says this is fun and this is good and this is right. And I say that's not fun. It's wrong and you don't need to do it. Yes, the world, we are supposed to be so different from the world and that can be a burden and that can be difficult. And certainly it's difficult. Don't you know? brother and sister, like I know from my own experience, it's really hard to say you're this, but your actions to show that you're not. It's really hard to say you're a faithful Christian, but then to carry with you sin and other weights that wear you down to weariness. And Jesus just says, hey, come to me. If you're weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll show you how you ought to live. Hey, if you're going to run this race that's set before you, get rid of that sin that's getting in your way. Lay aside that weight of of difficulty and guilt and shame. Confess your sins and be forgiven of those things. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 28, the Bible tells us, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Blessed are those who hear the voice of God and do it. This morning, the world still spins. You still have oxygen to breathe. You are alive because the Lord allowed it to happen. Because God's voice set it in motion. The voice of God still speaks. And this morning, Christian, it speaks to you And he says, listen, if you've got things in your life that don't need to be there, get rid of them. First John tells us that the way that we do that is we confess our sins. James tells us that we confess our sins to one another, we pray for each other, and we're forgiven of those things. You you don't have to. It's not necessary for you to confess your sins uh, to, to other Christians. That's not necessary. You can go straight to God, and you can trust and know that your sins are forgiven when you confess those things and you strive to repent of those things. You can trust that in that moment, you're forgiven of those sins. But the wisdom of God says, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another. The scripture tells us to bear one another's burdens. And thereby fulfill the law of Christ. The point I want you to understand is I know that there are things that are shameful in our lives. I know that there are things that we're not happy with or pleased with. And we don't want to be in our lives. But the shame is not from us. Satan is making you feel that shame. And it's a shame that should. The godly shame is a shame that leads to repentance. We understand that. But the shame that Satan wants you to have is one that will hold you back from making the change. It's the one that makes you think, I can handle this by myself. It's the one that makes you think, I don't need to confess these sins or ask for help. You've got to have help from God or you won't make it at all. 
And one of the helps that he has given to us is our church family. And what I want you to know is that whether it should be this, or whether it should be this way or not, or, or whether it has been this way in the past or not, the way that it needs to be, and I'll say the way that it is, is that if you come forward, there is no shame. Because I'm a sinner. I'm a, a saved sinner. But I'm someone who struggles with sin just like you, and so is everybody else in this building. If you need help, we want to help you. If you need help, God offers forgiveness. God's voice also tells us that before the foundation of the world, God had a plan to save us from our sin. Yeah, before God said, let there be light and there was light, he knew he would create us and he knew that we would mess up. And he made a plan to fix the mess up before it even happened. That plan was Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And it's good news because he gains victory over death. And if you believe that he is the resurrected son of God, scripture tells us you confess that with your mouth, you show that with your actions and repentance, you submit to baptism where you reenact his death, burial, and resurrection, and you're raised to walk in newness of life. What does the newness of life mean? That means all the junk, all the stuff, all the things you're ashamed of, you don't have to have those as a part of who you are anymore. The world might still look at you like, you're, oh, you're just that same old sinner. You're just that same old rotten person. But God and your church family looks at you as a forgiven and saved Christian. If you're not a Christian this morning, we would love to talk to you about it and tell you just how good it is. If you are a Christian this morning, how's your life? What weights are you carrying? What sin has entangled you? Whether you come forward when we sing this song or not, Please, please, please get yourself untangled from that sin. Lay aside those weights that slow you down. And let's follow Jesus. If you need anything this morning, if we can help you, please come as we stand and sing.